Welcome to Talking Tourism, the podcast series created specifically for tourism operators. Talking Tourism, the expert series, is the ultimate resource for business owners who want to lift their skills to the next level. If you want to learn how to be a better tourism operator, listen on. Hello and welcome to today's edition of Talking Tourism. My name is Rachel Williams and I'm your host for this edition where we're going to be talking to Sarah Lebsky, a tourism consultant, about a new word, a new buzzword in the tourism industry and it's called regenerative tourism. Of course, today's podcast is brought to you by the Tourism Industry Council of Tasmania, the peak body for tourism in the wonderful state of Tasmania. Hello, Sarah. Thank you very much for joining us. Hi, Rachel. Thank you. Now, we better get a little bit of detail about your background because I do know that you've been involved in the industry for quite some time now. And if you can cast your memory back, you actually started in the industry back in 1991. I know. Gosh, I'm assuming it was a very different landscape back then. (laughs) It was. Um, I came into the tourism industry through the accommodation side. My husband and I uh, restored some terrace houses in Margaret Street in Launceston, opposite the Brickfields, which is an area you probably know. Prior to that, I was a librarian. So, you you know, I had a really big change in the early 90s and came into the tourism industry without knowing anything about it. And here I am, you know, it's almost 30 years on and um, I'm still talking about it. So did you just get sick of children not understanding the Dewey Decimal System or, or what made you change from being a librarian? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, actually, um, my career path ran out and I decided to have a family. And uh, for a number of reasons that are too long to go into here, it was difficult for me to get permanent part-time work in the state public service in those days. So I decided to have a complete change and reinvent myself, I guess. And these decades on in the tourism industry, what's been the biggest change that you've seen since starting that accommodation business back in the early 90s? That's a really interesting question. Um, In the 90s, we got very excited because we had about 400,000 visitors to Tasmania. (laughs) Uh, Prior to COVID, we were sitting around 1.3 million. So I guess the popularity of Tasmania has been one of the most amazing things for me. You know, we weren't the flavour of the month in the 1990s. A lot of the industry were struggling at that stage. And, you know, it was really quite a hard gig. But the... Oh, I guess the shift in how people outside Tasmania, as well as Tasmanians themselves, view this place has changed exponentially in that time. We have so much more confidence. We have some amazing, really world-leading products here now. And uh, it is a different landscape. And you've, of course, been a judge at the Australian Tourism Awards and you're actually the 2013 Tourism Champion for Tasmania, <laughs> if you can remember yes. back to that. What yes. what do you think you were awarded that for and, and why were you held in such high regard, do you believe? Oh, that's a really hard question for you to answer, probably because I did lots of stuff for free. <laughs> Um, I guess uh, the interesting transition for me was from the accommodation sector into consultancy work. And like a lot of things in my life, that just kind of happened. It wasn't particularly planned. So I ended up being involved in in some major um, consultancy projects, projects for uh, tourism in Tasmania as a whole. And uh, I guess that raised my profile and uh, I started to get a voice at the table. And so I made the most of that. And I hope that award was all about 
a meaningful contribution that I've made over many years. Well, I'm, I'm assuming it absolutely was. And one of the key things that you've been involved in has been innovative planning for tourism mm. in the state. Mm. And I really would like to have a, a little bit of a chat about this this new buzzword that mm. we're talking about at the moment. We've heard a lot about sustainability and clean green travel, but the new word, which I love um, the sound of, is regenerative tourism. Yes. Yes. And one way it's been described as that the word is both healing and optimistic. Mm. What does regenerative tourism mean to you? Mm. Um, I think at its simplest, it's giving back more than you take. And over the years, the tourism industry globally has really been an industry that has, has grown without any restraint. And for many people, that's been a very good thing. But for others, it's been overwhelming. And I'm sure you're familiar with the term over-tourism, which has been used quite a lot. So um, regenerative tourism is is different from sustainable tourism. It, sustainable tourism is implied in the term, but it is taking it to a new level where we look at destinations like an ecosystem. So if you think about an ecosystem, it has interdependent parts. In the case of a tourism destination, it's residents, visitors and businesses that are operating within that destination. Now, if tourism dominates the landscape, that ecosystem gets out of kilter. So regenerative tourism is really about ensuring that all the people who are involved in the tourism industry within a community, within a destination are benefiting and that also the environment in which everybody is working and living and playing is benefiting as well. Would it be fair to say it's going to be a long journey to bring everyone in on that regenerative theme? Obviously, we like to think we're all sustainable and we're doing the right thing mm. to, to maintain the status quo, but actually going above and beyond that might seem mm. quite daunting to many tourism mm. operators. Mm. I'd agree with you there that it could appear daunting and we need to keep in mind that the vast majority of tourism operators in Tasmania are small operators. So, you know, we're talking 85% or so. Uh, and I can quite understand it if they might sit back and think, oh, another thing, you know more compliance or we're being asked to do more. But in fact, it's to scale really. If you're a small operation, you know, you do what you can manage. You you start um, at, at the kind of easier, less complicated end. Um, if you're um, Rob Pennicott, um, you're a star already, you know, and, and Rob has been in this space. He may not have called it that, I don't know, but he's been in the regenerative tourism area for a long time now. So it's not about asking impossible things um, of smaller operators, of anybody really. It's about being more mindful and it's also not just doing one thing. Um, for example, with sustainability, often a business might say, well, you know, I'm really energy efficient these days or our recycling practices have really picked up. Tick for both. That's that's great. But that's not systemic change. That's just uh, individuals doing good things. Regenerative tourism looks at systemic change. So it is, once again, within this context of a, a much broader ecosystem rather than individual acts, important and all as they are. And so for those small tourism operators out there, what are some of the things that they can do as individuals and then as communities mm. and growing outwards to, to the whole state? What can they do to start becoming 
regenerative. Mm. Um, there's an example that I, I use in my presentation, lovely place on Flinders Island, beautiful Flinders Island, um, called the Purple Swamp Hen. And uh, that's a, a place where uh, visitors can see local art and culture. But um, it's also uh, run by a lady called Kate Mooney with several other people I understand. And Kate looks after baby wombats. And so visitors to Flinders can look at the local art and culture through her shop, meet a baby wombat, which I think has a very high love factor really. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and chat to Kate about that and also donate to their care, the care of the wombats. So that's a fairly straightforward example of uh, what a small business can do. And I don't want to in any way... Um, negate the effort around things like recycling and energy efficiency, which are, you know, the most commonly held up examples, they are possible for smaller businesses. So I'm just interested, in order to be able to regenerate, do we need to have a cap on numbers of tourists? And I know that's been a hotly debated yes. topic over the journey, but have we, before COVID, mm. had we reached, in your opinion, peak capacity to be still listed as a a sustainable mm. tourism destination? That is such a big question, Rachel, because um, I've looked at over tourism across the world and I would say I'm beginning to sound like a politician when I say <laughs> this, <laughs> but it depends how you define over tourism. There's a, an academic definition, a theoretical definition that talks about um, an area being um, kind of stressed at a particular time on a particular day. It, it's not about over-tourism every day, day in, day out necessarily. So I think we have some hotspots in Tasmania that have already been acknowledged, places like Coles Bay, Wineglass Bay. But overall, Tasmania doesn't uh, suffer from over-tourism, particularly once you get out into the regions. But I think it's really important going into the future and around this issue of sustainability and regeneration that we look at the carrying capacity of our areas because often we find that smaller councils that oversee beautiful places like Coles Bay actually don't have the resources to provide the infrastructure and services that are expected uh, by today's travellers. So we need to get that balance better in my view before we start sending people out into the regions to various places that may or may not become hotspots. We need to think about the existing facilities and whether we're able to cope with a substantial influx of visitors. And obviously areas like the East Coast, they've, they've done their own things off their own bat. They were the leaders around the, the plastic bag. Yes, yes and, fantastic. Gosh, I can't even remember when that was. It seems like a decade or yes. two ago now, I'm not even sure. I think it probably was. But if yeah. you were engaged as a tourism consultant in that sort of area, knowing those stress challenges that they have had and will no doubt continue to have once the borders are fully open mm. and the tourism um, levels pick up again, what would you perhaps encourage them to do as a, a group or an area to, to look at these regenerative options that they might be able to adopt singularly and then as a whole? Mm. Mm. Um, look, I haven't... Uh, looked at Coles Bay uh, or any area particularly within that context. Uh, there are all sorts of accreditation programs that are starting to be developed around regenerative tourism. Uh, most of them, to my knowledge, are overseas at this point. So getting back to the earlier point that I made, that it is, it's quite new in some ways in terms of the measurement of regenerative tourism. What does that look like? Um, so 
really as we speak, those metrics are being decided and in some places determined already. So, for example, there's a booking platform called Regenerative Travel uh, and they have um, about 50 international resorts. As their name suggests, they're very focused on this whole issue of regeneration and they vet their potential members by things like sourcing local food immersive visitor experiences that are very focused on the story of place. They look at their carbon usage. So that's just an example of um, a couple of metrics that are already in place. But I think we do have a little way to go and there is more to learn around what regeneration might look like in terms of measurement. And measurement is very important. It's not about just putting money in a, a donation jar on a front counter. And feeling yes. good about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's good, you know, clearly there's nothing wrong with that. It, it, it's a positive. But we need to be able to form partnerships with um, non-government organisations, for example, perhaps the Tasmanian Land Conservancy um, or who else is that, you know, uh, various um, organisations that are looking at cleaning up the Tamer Valley and uh, Tamer River, I should say. So we need to form formal partnerships, particularly uh, bigger uh, tourism operators, so that, you know, you can do the hand on the heart thing. It's not greenwashing. It's authentic. And you can really say, look, I can show you what I'm doing. I have the data to prove it. Um, it's not just an idea that I contribute to when I feel like it or, you know, when I'm shamed into it or feel guilty or need to feel good about my contribution. This is something real and tangible. And I'm assuming as a state, this is almost the next level of of us leading the way in saying that mm. we're going above and beyond before it's mandated. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, this is what the Tourism 21 Visitor Action Plan is all about, that the, the vision that resides within that document is, you know, for Tasmania to, to be global leaders in responsible and sustainable tourism. So this is where uh, the path to regeneration, I think, is a great opportunity for our state. Because you've been involved in that strategic business plan, haven't you? Uh, yes, um, not deeply involved, but certainly um, I have contributed to it, yes. And another thing I'm interested in that you have been um, involved with innovative destination development mm. and online business models for visitor mm. information centres. Mm. Yes. Obviously, they've had to really change their models quickly over the last six to 12 months. Yes. Again, I haven't worked in that space for a, a little while, but visitor information centres are really... Um, very valuable, but they're also the subject of a lot of discussion and there is a cost, a substantial cost attached to them. Um, so inevitably, uh, we look at them every couple of years. I looked recently and I think it's fair to say that we have looked at the topic of visitor information centres in Tasmania every year for the last 16 years. So <laughs> it's, it's a hot topic on and off. And of course, you know, they've cut back on their operations and I'm not sure what the future looks like for them. Um, but I know that they're highly valued by visitors to Tasmania and elsewhere. And their move to and online would have absolutely been necessitated mm. by the last six months, wouldn't it? Um, yes, and a lot of them were already online uh, long before that. So um, that will stand them in good stead. Now, another little bit of um, information I read about you when I was preparing for today was that um, you're actually involved in the Palawa Enterprises Trust. Mm, mm, yes. Tell me a little bit more about that because one 
something that I read, and I'm hoping it was inaccurate and that I'm saying this and it's not true, that you're actually developing Tasmania's first Aboriginal tourism experience. Mm. I would have thought we would have had myriad Aboriginal tourism experiences. Sadly not. And you know, having listened to the wonderful Dwayne Everett Smith a few minutes ago, you see the power of that story. Um, look, I, uh, I've i been on the Palawar Enterprises Trust Board. Um, I'm no longer on that board, but I was there as we were developing the Wookalina Walk and I'm incredibly proud and feel very privileged to have been involved. Um, it, it's very significant for the reasons that you've already shown and it is the most wonderful experience, um, including the the fabulous um, architecture that has been developed there around um, the accommodation for visitors. So, Explain to me the, the where and the when and the how people can actually take part in this because to me this sounds like a no-brainer as far as regenerative tourism is concerned. Yes, yes. Um, well, I think um, it, it's on the beautiful East Coast around the um, Bay of Fires area and you have the opportunity to walk with an Aboriginal guide over a couple of days, interact with that person and and really have the landscape interpreted by that person. So it's all about being on country and developing a deeper understanding of the extraordinary Aboriginal culture um, that is at the centre of our story. Does it surprise you that in 2020 it's only becoming the first experience of its kind in Tasmania? Um, In some ways, yes. In others, no. Um, But I'm very, very glad that it's happening. And is it something that you would think would be developed or expanded upon around the state with, you know, Flinders Island, you've, mm. you've mentioned amazing mm. culture, Cape Barren Island. There mm. is so much amazing history that perhaps as locals we haven't been taught, we don't mm. understand and we perhaps need to delicately and sensitively yes. expand upon. Yes. I would love to see it happen because it's the missing piece. How can we talk about Tasmania without talking about the long history of Aboriginal culture here. So uh, it would be wonderful if we could develop um, more of that kind of experience, particularly going on country and and looking at the landscape so differently. It, it's, it's a fantastic experience. So Sarah Lebsky, Tourism Consultant, what is on your forward agenda looking ahead as far as your workload's Mm. concerned. What's your next mission? I'd like to do some more work around regenerative tourism. Um, I'm also involved in some international discussions around what the future of tourism might look like. And um, at a more personal level, um, my husband and I are building a studio at the moment and we live off-grid and try and live a mindful, sustainable life, uh, not far out of Launceston. And so... um, we're building a small studio so that others can experience um, that sustainable lifestyle and basically see how easy it is, really. And aside from that, you know, we overlook the beautiful Tamer Valley and what more could you want? What more could <laughs> yes. you want? Yeah. Wow. How does one go about doing that? I'm not sure if myself and my three boys would uh, cope very well with that, or would we? I think you'd cope really well. I mean, the Aurora man who reads the meter still comes to our place by mistake. And, you know, it's like I say to him, there's nothing to see here. <laughs> we don't do that anymore. And over the years, uh, because we've been living this way since we built our house five years ago, um, I've had lots of amusing conversations with these guys who say, so do you have a computer? Yes. 
use a hairdryer? You know, how, how does all that work? <laughs> that and was my first concern yeah. was the hair straightness, Sarah. <laughs> yes, yeah. uh, yes, and the hairdryer is really important to me too. Um, <laughs> and we use all of those things. And, and I actually really love that way of life because it's more like, okay, the sun is out today. I can get lots done. I can, I can do the laundry. I can put the dishwasher on, you know, all those kind of things that consume a bit more energy. If it's a day like today when it's a bit cloudy, I do other things. So it just makes you think a whole lot more about how you use uh, your resources. Yes, I'd, I'd recommend it. Um, it's it's a really good way to live. And you mentioned you international travel. That is obviously going to be a really different thing into the future now. We don't really know what it will no, look like. No, But a lot of photos that you've seen over the course of the last six months have been areas where lockdown has occurred through COVID mm. and the amazing natural assets have just restored mm. themselves because yes. there's been no humans or traffic yes. or pollution. Will it stay that way, do you think? What What is your yeah. idea of what future travel internationally will look like? Yes, I had a really interesting conversation about this over dinner last night as it happens. There was quite a, a mixed view around the table. I was with tourism colleagues. Some of us felt that, you know, we are going to come back um, internationally and domestically, but it is a new normal, I think. Um, others felt that it would never be quite the same again and that our focus will be much more on uh travellers from within Australia. It really is hard to tell because we're not through this yet. You know, Australia has done remarkably well, obviously, but it breaks my heart to see the latest news out of Greece, Spain, Italy, France, uh, the UK now, um, where it seems to be almost as bad as it was originally. So we have a long way to go. But there is a feeling here that the pause that we're experiencing is wonderful for Tasmanians. And uh, I had some friends uh, go back to Cradle Mountain recently for the first time in several decades, and there was nobody there. And wow. it was just such an incredible experience for them. Mm. And, you know, I'm old enough to remember when I used to go to Cradle Mountain regularly, when that was the case. You know, it wasn't the huge draw card that it is today. So what kind of impact that will have on how people feel about additional visitors? I don't know. It'll, it'll be really interesting to see because to have the places our own is really unique. It is. And, and not that I want to become political, but obviously around the world, there are other hotspots of tourism uh, destinations that mm. probably do need to look at regenerative tourism yes. a lot more than Tasmania. Yes. Some might argue that they should be leading the pack, but I'm assuming mm. that you see it differently. Um, look, there are quite a few places around the world that are doing a lot in the regenerative tourism space. Belgium is one. Um, New Zealand is becoming a star in this space. We all love New Zealand we at the do. moment, don't we? We do. <laughs> uh, the Netherlands is another. There's a, a program in Scotland called Rewilding Scotland that's getting a lot of publicity at the moment. I did have a, an interesting look at Barcelona again because, you know, that was held up as one of the key areas for over-tourism. And I was there fairly recently and the beautiful European-style boulevard La Rambla was just so full of um, souvenir stalls and ice creams and really it's um, it's not a particularly attractive place apart from the gorgeous trees. But it has, until now, had 100 million journeys a year. That's an estimation, up and down La Rambla. 
the people of Barcelona are now saying, we want to reclaim that area. We don't want it to be like that anymore. It used to be a beautiful cultural precinct and it's been taken over by tourism. So their idea is to bring it back to the cultural precinct to enrich that precinct as well, make it for residents first and foremost, but obviously visitors will love it too. So that's one response to over-tourism and would that have happened if we hadn't had COVID? I suspect in Barcelona it might have because, you know, when I was there even there was a real backlash against visitors and, you know, there was graffiti everywhere that's been well-publicised, tourists go home and we don't want you and all that kind of thing. Uh, A fairly extreme example, but um, we did see it elsewhere as well. So just finally, Sarah, from a local perspective, are there any resources you would suggest for for business tourism operators around the state to start researching Mm. what they can start doing at their Mm. their little level before it reaches outwards? I think we've got um, a little way to go with that, certainly to focus on actions around sustainable tourism as they know it, because as I said, this is part of regenerative tourism. What else can they do? I would suggest that they have a look at um, Tourism New Zealand Bay of Plenty Destination Management Organisation and what they've been doing. They have produced a destination management plan called The Love of Tourism. It's fantastic. It will give some idea of the kind of actions that that particular DMO is putting in place. And they're just starting out as well, really, but they are starting to be held up as the poster child for regenerative tourism. So I think um, a read of that would be very interesting for anybody who wants to get into that space within our tourism industry here. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time today, Sarah. I really appreciate it talking to you and good luck with your studio build. I look forward to hearing how that goes into the future as well. Thank you very much, Rachel. That was Sarah Lebsky, tourism consultant, who has joined us today talking about the new authentic term in the tourism world of regenerative tourism. If you've enjoyed this Talking Tourism podcast, please search out other Talking Tourism podcasts. There's plenty of information and interviews with very interesting people over the journey that we've met during the episode production of Talking Tourism. I'm Rachel Williams. Thank you very much for listening today. You've been listening to Talking Tourism, brought to you by Tourism Industry Council Tasmania. For show notes, other materials and episodes, head to tict.com.au. Be sure to come back every fortnight for a new instalment of Talking Tourism.